The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brett Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we're visiting Dublin, Ireland. I'll tell you the best places to get your Guinness on and how to sample a dish called Boxty. Download Destination Eat Drink today. Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Holy shit. Got half in the glass and half on the table. <laughs> and he's not even half in the bag. <laughs> it's only 12.15. It's only 12.15. My God, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey outside of 16600 with Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Althea. Althea. <laughs> right? Althea's podcast debut. Raspberry. She doesn't really talk on Raspberry. command yet. <laughs> We're Raspberry? getting close. Raspberry? <laughs> and we got Braden Albrecht in the house bringing his... Bringing his wines. I don't know if you did. You bring a bottle of this heralded the, the last bottle on earth. The last bottle. And we're gonna we're gonna open it and Maya drink Kamas it. Cab, the number two wine in the world, as voted by was it Spectator? Wine Spectator. Last number. I don't even know what number one was anymore. Who cares, right? I was in an airport. <laughs> uh, yeah, you were so confused by this whole text message. Right. No, I know, but I was I was tracking who the number one and and the top five were because I was in an airport. We were on Kauai flying over to Maui, and I was looking for the, and I was like, oh, my comments, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy, uh, pretty crazy week for us last week. Um, really exciting. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of an honor to, not just, not just to the wines right now, but really to the, the history and the legacy of my Um It's a, kind of a testament to what, what really we've been doing up there for a long time, and and what we're what we're continuing to do now, it's um, yeah, it's really exciting. So I think in an episode, I mean, not an episode, an issue earlier than this one, there was a picture of you and three grumpy old men. What <laughs> what was the story behind that? Three grumpy old men. I mean, three older winemakers. It kind of looked like you and your grandparents. Um, was that was that about Mayakamas or was that about Cabernet? That um, article. Right, so I was out in New York at the Wine Spectator experience in, I don't know, it was mid-harvest. It was, it's all a bit blurry, but um, <laughs> but yeah, um, it was a panel discussion we were doing on Mountain Cabernet in Napa. So it was, um, you know, we were representing Mount Veter. Uh We had La Coya, uh, Chris Carpenter with Spring Mountain. Um, and then who else did we have? Was we it? had Randy Dunn yeah. from Howell and Phil Ross from uh, from Diamond. Yeah. So it was it, great. Should, should yeah. we like? I, I feel like we kind of jumped in. Here. We totally. <laughs> we did. totally. We totally uh, did. Who? Who are you? Who are you? Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Braden Albrecht, winemaker at is Mayakamas the oldest winery that we've ever had as a like winemaker guest on the podcast. I don't know. Does it predate Gunlock Bunchu? Oh no, never mind. Mm. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Set oldest Napa winery we've ever had. On well, the I mean, that, yeah, that, yeah that's... but as a facility, it goes. When was it? When were the first vines planted up there in the building? So the building was was uh, was finished in 1889. Okay. Um, wow. 
I mean, not and not, not far, not no. far, not far. No, and then the first vines were we think were planted a little bit before that though. There's you know not great records that, right. from that time, nor are the vines are still around. But yeah, the, they'll pull those out. Oh yeah, as soon as he could. <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple old vine uh, zin. I think there's like three of them. That we're not we're not sure that they're that old, but um, but yeah, built in built in 1889. That's when the property started. So really, uh, you know, 130 years of continuous winemaking at at our facility uh, this year, and the brand itself was not was not founded until the I think the first vintage was 40 47 or 48. It was the first vintage of Mayacamas. Yeah, under that under that label, uh, it had a few different a few different. Um, they didn't really have many names pre pre my Thomas name. Uh, John Henry Fisher uh, was is the was the guy who built the winery in, in 1889. And he had a wine called like Fisher and Sons, uh, and that was mainly just produced at my Thomas. And then uh, then they drove it down. There's some cool old pictures at the winery. Where you have these wagons and they're barrels in the back of the wagon and they'd take it by horse down to the Napa River, put the barrels on the boat, take it to San Francisco and they'd bottle it or Sound do what they the did barrel. there. Yeah. yeah. So let's and talk about, let's talk about where Maya Comas is for a second. Um, Cause if it, for most places in Napa, it's closer by the crow flies to Sonoma County. I mean, it's right there on the very top of the mountain. It's like a mile from the Cayman Vineyard and the Repri and, and you know, uh, Corbin Cameron is right there, too. Um, it's top of Mount Veter, um, just on the the east side of the Mayacamas Mountains from, from you know, the Moon Mountain District. Um, so it's, you know, a winery there in 1889... Um, it was, a, it was a pretty crazy place. It was still, like, driving there <laughs> well, it was now built, is it was a pain built, in the ass. Right. It was built with purpose, right? Right. I mean, there was a reason why they decided to go there to do it. Who knows what that was. But. Nobody wanted to see him in the valley. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, you know, it's a really, it's a pretty unique site within the Mount Veter AVA in a lot of ways. We're, we're at the very we're at the very top of Mount Veter. Um there is a few hundred feet, I guess, of elevation behind us. We're, we're, so on the south, the south flank of Veter, uh, pretty high up. The winery is at 1,800 feet. Um, so a vineyard, vineyard elevation-wise, we have vines at around you know 1,750 or so, all the way up to about 2,200. Hmm. Um, the property itself is 465 <laughs> acres thereabouts, and 50 of it in vineyard footprint. And uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite a unique property, you know, just in terms of its diversity of uh, you know microclimate, soil variation, elevation change, uh, aspect. You have a pretty cool canvas to work with uh, with the fruit off that off the property, and and we're really coming into this phase now. Now that Phil Phil's Phil's been up there since 2013, we the property sold in. Uh, in 2013 from Bob Travers. Bob Travers had, had owned it from 1968 to 2013. Um, pretty owned it, lived there, winemaker. Yes, yeah, sorry. Like full, <laughs> kept daily notes on rainfall and like temperature in the cellar. And you have all those. It's like, we do. It yeah. takes up most of your office, right? Most of my office, yeah. Is <laughs> old handwritten notes. No, it's, I mean, it's, uh, he was in it, man. Uh, and I know I live up there now. And, and when you're, 
when you're in it, it's it's there's there's always something to do up there. And, and Bob Bob, you know, really pioneered the style up there, and uh, you know he did everything f- from vineyard management to winemaking, sales, etc. And he 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 really put Mayakamas on the map uh, in kind of the early, the early days where Napa started to get recognition, and uh, you know the seventy, the seventy six Paris tasting was really one of the things that, you know, kind of gave him gave him some credibility. The seventy one Mayakamas Cabernet was in the Paris tasting, so the, the Judgment of Paris, yeah. yeah, the thing that starts all of this. Mayakamas is one of I didn't know, you know, know that? Yeah. How, how where did it, uh, what place did we come in in the in the first one? I want to say uh, it's. I think it was eight eighth or something like that. It wasn't. We weren't in the in the in the top. Um, but as they've done subsequent ones, the seventy one the seventy one has, I think, has gotten as high as number two in the in the redo. So number two is pretty much where my that's caps yeah. At. Okay. yeah. I guess so. <laughs> We're gonna wow. get to number one in some at some point. <laughs> Shots. So, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, all my rosé t- barrels just drained out and well, mysteriously well, in the middle well, of the right. night. And all of a sudden, there's complaints about the farming up there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it, the opposite. Um, at, in, in 2013, when when we started and when I started up there, I started work as you know, I was working for Enterprise Vineyards and with Phil and uh, with Phil and Jesse and uh, the the crew and. You know the the property is as I said it's a, it's an incredible site. The vineyards needed some love, and um, we we undertook a pretty extensive re, replant. It's basically at this point everything has been ripped out from those plantings that we started with. And this year, this year was really the first year where we had you know significant tonnage off the new plantings, and the. All that work is paying off right now. I'll tell you that the fruit quality off the property was uh, was awesome this year, and you know it's a testament to to Phil and our vineyard team and the attention to detail that we have. And um, I think it's it's really exciting looking at that and thinking about the next the next chapter, um, which uh, which is really here now. We had right. sixty. And sixty tons of estate cabernet this yeah, year, and something. twenty tons of estate chardonnay, and that's um, pretty. I mean, I couldn't imagine that a couple of years ago. So we're in the ne- we're in the next phase now, which is exciting. So, Brayden, you grew up here in Sonoma, right? I did. Yeah, um, I I moved here when I was I think eight. Um, St. Francis Sonoma High School, and got to know Sam and the Katuris. What through probably through soccer first? Because so- well, I coached, I coached somehow ended up coaching Ian's team, the team that Ian and Max were on, mm-hmm. the Phoenix, the right. Phoenix, the first year, and then the second year, it was a team that it was a, still the Phoenix, but it was you guys had, <laughs> you guys had aged up and uh, man down, man and, down, uh, or Max had aged up, and he ended up on you ended up on the team, so I, I went from one Albrecht to center uh, midfield to another Albrechtian center midfield, if I recall correctly. Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how good of a winemaker Ian is, but I think that he may have been a stronger athlete. <laughs> He's an incredible athlete. Yeah. Same with my sister. And we're all pretty good. Yeah, you're all pretty, I mean, <laughs> uh, like, like, we're a pretty athletic family, the Albrechts. They're skiers, his dad rides the, like, 100-mile death ride, bicycle, you know. Um, 
And you were born in Jackson, right? I was I was born yeah east well actually not quite Jackson but in Wyoming just uh, just east of Yellowstone um, in a town called Powell, Powell, Wyoming. Very small town. It's uh, but there's a college there my, that my dad uh, my dad was teaching at. He was in charge of the outdoor education program there. And um, we moved back when I was two. I was two. My brother was had just been born. So I don't I can't say I remember right. li- living there, but certainly go, when going back in the summers, um, certainly always a, a part of a part of growing up. And, and so what was your first wine job or vineyard job? My first wine or vineyard job. So I mean, I should I should take a step back and, and say my, my both my parents are from the area. My dad is from San Francisco, and my mom my mom's family's been in Santa Elena since the late 1800s. Uh, my mom grew up on a 40 acre vineyard in Rutherford that okay. we still the family still farms right okay, um, cool. Manly Lane in 29. And uh, so I mean I was around vineyards really early age. I think I picked my first grape probably at least when I was in eighth or not eighth grade when I was about eight, maybe second or third grade. I'm um, actually out at Little Vineyards in uh, in Glen Ellen. Good friends with with Josh Little and the Little family. I definitely remember uh, cutting my index finger with uh, with a hook. Uh, maybe on the first cluster I. <laughs> took off the vines. And he's worked in the winery ever since. <laughs> right, exactly. No, no, no. Come on. Uh, but in terms of uh, like commercial, you know, in a commercial sense, um, I mean, I worked for I worked for Phil uh, in as an intern in the summers while I was attending uh, while I was attending Berkeley, and that was probably the first time I really got into it um, in that in that way. So I remember, yeah, planting, developing uh, Oakville. Oakville Ranch, actually Max and I out there, covered in covered in dirt from head to toe, redeveloping like the Vista block or yeah. something, and um, learned a lot. I, I really loved working in the vineyard that 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 summer, and you know, and it was, I mean, certainly humbling. You get your ass kicked out there, and yeah. uh, um, Max probably made you pick up all the rocks. Well, we were both on rock duty we at, that, rock at duty. that point. Max is Max has since uh, Max graduated to, graduated to driving the tractor. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Is that your truck, Braden? I don't think so. All right. Recording <laughs> live in the pod parking lot here at Winery 16600. <laughs> yeah. wasn't, wasn't Bart's. It's a, it's, we should it didn't sound like a Ferrari. <laughs> it's totally Craig's, it's Craig's car alarm. I hope, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Someone go hit that thing with a bat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Do us all a favor. It is, a, it's a, we're outside. This is November 21st. For those keeping score at home, it it's is a uh, stunning day. Beautiful blue skies, probably about sixty-five degrees or so. Um, not a breath of wind. Um, hard to find a place other than maybe Kauai. Uh, in hard to find a place in the forty-eight, lower forty-eight, where the weather's better than it is in Sonoma right now. Not um, quite as many beautiful leaves as there has been. Um, just well, because the, they're all gone, <laughs> they all blew wind, away yesterday. The wind has just been outrageous here. This, yeah, did did anyone lose power yesterday? We are still without power. You're uh, up in Mayacamas. Yeah, we. You know, after the fires, I mean, I, I I think we're the first to lose power and the last to get it back. Um, and uh, yeah, we're we're on generator power again. Most of harvest, I felt, <laughs> felt like <laughs> we were on generator power, which has been uh, a testament to the generators. They're doing they're doing their job. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, in some sense, we, we learned a lot from that from that fire experience where, like, okay, we need to be, you know, my commerce is remote. We need to be able to be off the grid. So while a lot of wineries, uh, you know, in, in 
the valley, both valleys weren't able to do things on certain days this harvest just because they didn't have power. We were cool. Yeah, yeah. we had no, we had, we didn't miss a beat. Really, just turn the generator on and here we go. So, winemaking was as difficult as it always is in my comments winery. Well, so and and you know on that note, um, you so the vineyard is being replanted, redeveloped. Um, the winery um, was certainly probably has not been. Um, remodeled or updated much um, over the years of the previous ownership um, can you talk a little bit about some of that stuff and you know have, have you really stuck to the traditions of Bob Travers or have you guys taken the winemaking in a new direction um, at all and anything you want to talk about that yeah yeah uh, well I'm 200% new oak <laughs> uh, all tearing so heavy toast right. <laughs> pick it 32 riper 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 the better uh, n- no I mean really when we when we took over it, the reason the reason why the ownership uh, which is the Schottenstein family at this point um, the reason why they really bought into the property which had been on the market for a while um under the radar a little bit off market technically but yeah it it needed it needed a lot of love but the style the story the the site um were were really what drove their interest in it and in terms of the winemaking we really wanted to make sure that we were that we were holding the line so to speak there we we really respected uh what bob what bob had built uh, in terms of just a co- continuous style since 1968 and and the first thing that we really i think really tried to do is understand how you execute that um in this setting and so yeah we still we still pick fairly early um you know as bob 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 kind of would say his target was about 23 and a half bricks uh, we t- we tend to be in that range still today on the oh, that's mainly on the reds but really it's about acid you know acid driven wines chardonnay on the chardonnay merlot and cabernet which is the three the three wines we we do bottlings of and um that's really that's really what you're looking for in the vineyard is trying to you know is trying to make sure you don't you don't lose that and really harness that in the cellar Uh, and then in terms of process you know it's it's been it's been it's been nice to kind of revamp the cellar in a little in small ways you know getting a bigger water heater and glycol systems so we can control fermentation temperatures better um, it's really been about trying to make the the place a little bit more efficient um, right. and and uh, that's that's been the primary goal yeah. there really hasn't been a lot of major shifts in the cellar yeah I mean that's I think that's really cool to hear because the place has a lot of history and mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of uh, there's a lot of soul that goes with that and definitely um, you know it's 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 not like you plowed everything down and built a new cellar you know you're you're working within the means if i remember you have a bunch of old tanks still that have been there yeah for almost ever yeah we kind of just talk in in general from Mm -hmm. like the fermenters to the barrel you know the tank room right uh it it is because my comment is you know it's not a joke it's the it's sort of the least napa valley (laughs) winery of the napa valley wineries right i mean is is that a fair well, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of other places too that have that rustic, uh, that rustic it, feel. But I mean, certainly, from from me growing up in Sonoma and, and and kind of always having Napa as the dark side, and we'd always, you know, talk trash about it. Uh, 
it was about as close as I could get to being okay uh, to be in Napa. I'm like, I can really still mostly see right, well, Sonoma other from than here. Other than if you were at like Pride, maybe <laughs> right, the only way you could boundary. be closer than. Yeah, it's um, but yeah, in terms of the cellar itself, it's you know we have we have basically four main cellars. The the heart of which is in the old stone building. Uh, which was is the, is the was built in 1889, and the first floor, the ground floor of that uh, is our we call it, we call it the red cellar, and it is full of casks, basically uh, 300 gallon up to 1200 gallon, you know, uh, different varying oak styles. It's you know, mainly American and French oak casks. Sometimes they're called foudres or botis, but you know, it feels like you walk into that room, feels like you're in Barolo or Barbaresco or the Northern Rhone, it, it's it's got this, the you know it's got a very different feel from a lot of other right. Napa barrel sellers. Uh, you know and that's a big part of what we do stylistically is is uh, we still use them. They're not they're not museum pieces. Right. Uh, some of them are <laughs> they're not old. they're not in display in the tasting room as you walk in. No. Right. No, they're definitely very much very much alive and part of the process, which is uh, you know something that. From a continuity perspective, with Bob, we really we really sought to do, uh, and it's you know some of them are I think the oldest tank eight is we don't know the exact age, but it's in, from the 1920s. Uh, we have <laughs> just, like how many wineries in North America can say we don't really know how old this tank is. We, we think I mean it's right. just like that that doesn't exist I mean, on this side of the globe right i mean that's i guess that's my point is it's like you have things up there that that added there was a period of time in winemaking where you'd come into a winery like that and say just get all of it out of here you right. know bulldoze um, it all yeah spray you know? it down with as much sulfur as we can possibly get and right. start with some stainless recoat it and yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. or or new barrels and, right. and stuff and I, I think it's refreshing to hear that you know i mean the, the, there's no contamination in in the these old tanks and mm-hmm. you know and and there's other people that are doing it you know Joel has all those old Joel Peterson has all those old redwood tanks that he's been carrying around with him and stuff and um, which is so amazing it's, it's he's awesome. that strong but but <laughs> at this age at his age at his age <laughs> hopefully he doesn't listen to this <laughs> anyway I, I think it's awesome definitely and, and you know I think it's a testament to the winemakers that have been there before us the cellar teams because taking care of taking care of barrels as as you know is not an is not always an easy thing and to keep them in use for as long as they have been without any issues is uh, is it's not a small task so keep you know, them full right I'm, yeah keep you got to keep them full keep keep them from leaking and you know if, if my uh, if my if my team's listening this year was tough for us to keep them full with we had we had some construction in the cellar so we've been we've been hydrating a few of the really old ones and I hope Aaron and Chris are listening, right? They listen to the podcast. You're going to make them listen because the only thing that they want to hear more than your voice live in the cellar is your voice recorded, right? Yeah, and giving them props for all the hard work they do. So there we go. Good job, Aaron and Chris. (laughs) Thanks, guys. So that answers my question. The, The winery team is three of you? Yeah, and we also have Andy Erickson is our consulting winemaker. Uh, so, but in the cellar every day, uh, it's it's three of us. Uh, yeah. And this harvest, it was it was just the three of us. It was yeah. a it was a it was a tough one. It, we we definitely we definitely all worked worked our ass off and put in a lot of hours. Uh, usually, we'll do a four person harvest harvest team. Yeah, but that doesn't count Todd Jolly, right? I mean, oh, this- Todd's the MVP. Yeah, he, he is he yeah. really? Well, well, he brought a really important keg at a at a, at a pivotal moment when there our keg grader was empty, and I. 
he was coming up to the winery and I said, you know, what do you have? What do you have in stock, man? And we're, we're dry up here. So he brought up a, a five, a five gallon of, Oh, it's a, what is the name of it? It's from Richmond. It's a, it's a brewery I just started having. He's got it on tap now. I think it's called Bro- Brothers IPA, whatever oh, it yeah. is. Bart, yeah. Bart, you're, aren't you? I look, are, I look to Bart because he spends to, a lot of time that, in this. Yeah. That, what, what, how is it that that everybody seems to feel this? Um, hey, it's a great place to hang out. I, I used to live two doors down. That's that's how Todd and I became, became friends. I, I lived right across from Shellville Station 2, and so that was my coffee shop, bar, deli. And grocery uh, store, and grocery store, all of the above. <laughs> you have to go check inventories. That's that's why there's so much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, can, can we talk about consulting winemakers? So when you talk about Andy Erickson, I know for 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 a lot of people it means different stuff. Like to have a consulting winemaker. Some are very hands on, and some are just kind of check in through email. Or mm-hmm. uh, what kind of relationship do you guys have? Oh, we have a great relationship. It's been really fun to get to work with him really from start to finish on this project. Well, not finish, but you know what I mean? It's it, when he, he started before I did, uh, at my commerce, getting the place, you know, getting the place in working order again. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in, you know, in winery setup and all the, all the nuance of, of getting a place, uh, getting a place ready to, to make good wine in. And so that was, you know, that's what he started doing up there right when we, right in 13, when the sale happened. And, you know, over over time, that's progressed. And I think he has a lot of faith in the team that we have up there. So he, he doesn't have to be there every day and, and check in. He checks in during harvest in particular. You know, we'll daily, we'll taste through ferments together. And uh, and then in blending, we do, you know, we do all that together. So it's been really fun to get to know, to get to know him. He's got about, I think he's got like eight or 10 clients. So in the, in the consulting winemaking world, it's, it's, he's not doing a crazy amount of, of projects. And I think what he does well is, you know, some consulting winemakers have their style that they impart on all their projects. And I think Andy, especially in the Mayakamas context, uh, you know, saw the house style as really important to preserve and, and sure we wanted to improve it, but that was, the driving force was to, you know, let the let the house style be be the guide, not any personal, any yeah. personal stylistic imprint. Um, and from my perspective, and what I've seen, um, you know, especially with Andy Erickson going into my commas, and there was always, you know, the the wine world was was happy that uh, you know Phil Kateri and Andy Erickson were in my commas, um, but. From what I've seen with Andy and his own project and the things that he consults for and, and buys grapes for f- from other places that we farm, it's almost like the lessons that he learned and, and you know, internalized working at Myakamas and sort of, like, bringing it back to, you know, its potential um, <laughs> are have more seeped into his other projects than, than vice versa. And, you know, and, and all testament to him that you know somebody with that stature that kind of name recognition um that amount of success to go to a place like Mayakamas and you know bring more of that to the rest of what he does as opposed to you know sort of imposing his his style on it as you know right just why he is you know who he is right Right. totally as opposed to there are consulting winemakers that you kind of give up the house when they move in right right um, and so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was wondering, just for our listeners who are, you know, that don't live in this area, 
who, when we talk about Chardonnay for the most part, we're usually talking about Russian River, Carneros. Um, what, what makes it different up there? What makes it such a great site for Chardonnay? Because these Chardonnays are both fantastic. They are. Brand. They're really amazing. I love, I love 15 for me, for sure. Yeah. I'm going to have to... You need some of that? We need I, can get you, I can get you some of that. And we even, <laughs> you want some kosher rosé? What was that last bottle that we yeah. had on the... Sh- on the, no, the well, we, you know what? Yeah, we did a podcast where we had one of the older. So we opened. Um, that was the, the last time we had Hawk Waka Waka on. Oh, yeah. uh, we opened uh, the terraces. So that was twenty. That was your first year there, right? Yep. That was twenty thirteen, um, and that I, I, I bought a case of that. And I have so I have three of those left. I and just, that was I didn't before they got ripped out, right? Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. That was a set. I mean, that was one of those vineyards where, you know, I understood why it needed to come out. But it was planted in 1950 and 51, and all St. George and Wente, and, and just a beautiful old vineyard. It was a tough one to farm. You know, these these the terrace block is was you know was cut in that era. So it's big, massive terraces. It's about, I think it's about nine acres, nine block acres, and three acres of vines, more or less. Right. So you could give up a lot like of land. Two thirds of it is is just the is terrace just the slope of the terrace. Yeah, wow. and uh, it's it's south facing, gets you know a lot of sun, pretty varied soils. You have kind of mixed volcanics on the on the uh, the east side of it, and you get towards the center, and it's pretty you know rich loam, and so it's. It's a really interesting site to get to kind of figure out from a from a picking perspective now. But in 13, it was, you know, there wasn't a lot of fruit out there. You'd walk the vineyard and it would be 20 clusters per vine and then zero and two and zero. It was really, really spotty. And, um, you know, we, we I think we, we pulled it out. And I remember being like, we haven't even really tasted the wine yet and we're taking it out and you know in the end in the end it was the right decision it's a great exposure for for cabernet and we've actually planted cabernet there now but it was great to kind of give to do a a bottling for that that block kind of as an homage to the last the last chardonnay vintage off of it and it's a it's a wine that has really aged quite well there's not much i don't think there's any left i have to see need some for my cellar um but you so know, we make an offer on the last three bottles that Eric I'm not <laughs> selling. <laughs> but it's you know, Roger our, Randall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Careful, careful what you what joke you, about. What do you like about growing shard up there? Like what 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 do you think makes such a good shard up there? You know, I think it's and Chardonnay can be can be grown well in a lot of places. Obviously, it's a it's a cool a cool climate varietal, and uh, I think that's one of the benefits that we have on on our property is you know the 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 heat extremes aren't as aren't as much as on any hillside you don't have as big of a diurnal shift maybe as the valley as some of the cooler valley floor sites but i mean really it's we do get a pretty pretty high acid content and that's yeah. really what drives this this style um and it's it's you know we don't we don't let it go through a malolactic so that, that kind of retains that fresh that fresh acidity and this is is this any, any new barrel on this or no in 15 or Either one. We, we Maybe tend the to 16 do, has a little bit, right? Yeah, it's got a little bit more texture. It's actually, we don't, I don't want to say, it's it's usually less than 10% new. We definitely have a new barrel or two or, or three, depending on the vintage, how big the vintage is every year. It's more year. about just replenishing your barrel stock, it yeah, sounds like. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, the 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 old barrels that we have are, are pretty awesome, and yeah. 
and uh, you know the style shifted a little bit under from from what Bob Travers was doing to what we do. Uh, Bob was aging; uh, it was an eight, basically an eighteen-month elevage. With the first six months, were in a up, upright American oak large format tanks, usually six hundred to twelve hundred gallon. Uh, and, then, and then the last year would be spent in barrel, uh, with with mostly French barrel and yeah, five to ten percent new, depending on how many it had broken in the previous year or <laughs> what have you. Um, and we, that was a, you know, that was a tough style to execute in our space in the quantity we wanted to make. We, we do about 2,500 cases of the main Chardonnay. And so what, what we've evolved towards now is, is adding the large format element in through 500 liter punch in, um, 500, 600, 350 liter. So you still have a little bit of that reduction that you can, that you get from large format, uh, and but then have the same you know the same barrel barrel aging program with the rest of the wine. So it's anywhere from twenty to to forty percent large format depending on the year. So just because and eighteen and still but eighteen months. Sorry, no, I didn't. And that uh, that's a little bit vintage dependent, uh, uh, which is pretty cool. I, I'm I'm really excited that we get to kind of make that call on really when it when it's right for us to bottle. So for example, fifteen and sixteen are both basically one year. And 17, which we don't have here, is 18 months, um, 18 months elevage. And then 18 is back to a year. So I think in bigger vintages, like 17, with had a lot more heat and it was a little bit more powerful. That we wanted to let let age for an additional six months. But in other years, it's not quite needed. So, And, and when you said you mentioned um, uh, re- reductive, um, as being part of the you know accepted winemaking, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? About reduction? Well, yeah. In in, in what you mean with the Chardonnay? Oh, I mean, I think it's it's kind of um, it, at least in terms of in terms of what we're tasting right now. I mean, there's a, there's kind of a flinty, um, occasionally like like slight sulfur aromatic to right. it, um, and it's you know you you find reduction in particular in larger barrels where there's less oxygen ingress per unit volume so if you know if you have a a 500 liter barrel versus a versus a 225 you know there's quite a bit more quite a bit more volume exposed to oxygen on the extra x the the sides of the barrel so um it's you don't quite have as much reduction typically with the lack of oxygen yeah um and that is a you know some i think it's a for me it's something i've always really looked for in uh in the Chardonnays I like to drink from all over the world, just a, a hint of it. It can be, if it if it overpowers, it can be too and, much. And that's why I asked you to speak about it because some people just grow up thinking, you know, reductive wine is is almost a defect, mm. you know. Um, and so, I, just for our listeners, I wanted you to kind of just speak about that a little right. bit. So thanks. No problem. Yeah. But I, I really love I really love making Chardonnay. I kind of been I've been kind of joking that maybe it's a bit of a like a millennial. A millennial thing with with whites where I, I like like the instant feedback and it's to market quick and you know I can see oh I you know I did I stirred this lot you know twice you know twice a month or I didn't do something you know whatever it is you're doing in your in your winemaking style either from a trial perspective or overall you can really see how that how that works in in bottle pretty quickly um, and right. with the cabernets especially for ours I mean we're we're three years in the cellar, an additional year in bottle. So it's four years until it's really ready for consumers. And so like, it's, it's not quite, 
not, not that Thank Chardonnay you, is real time to you know to get a change to, to change something or to improve something, um, but it takes a little bit longer. We're all sitting here staring at this bottle of. 2015 yeah, Let's talk about Cabernet. <laughs> Knowing that it probably, you know, because it's the number two wine of 2019, Wine Spectator, this is the only time we're ever going to get it. We're going to see a bottle of this in front of us in real oh, life. Come on. Well, and let's talk about how the, how this and, happens, like and, how, how it unfolds. Well, and, you know, we just said, it. so this 2015, this was in barrel for three years and in bottle for another year. So literally, this is, how, how long ago was this wine released? Oh, it was released in, I think it was October, mid-October, basically. Yeah. It's fresh release. Fresh release. Mid-October. By the f- middle of November, it's a number two wine, but and now it's sold out. Or is yeah, there some I mean, available? Yeah, can we... Can well, I, I, can, say, can, can, <laughs> I say sold out. get some was, emails from podcast listeners going, hey... We heard you is find a bottle of it for me somewhere. It is definitely still for sale. Okay. Uh, you know, if you reach out to to Myacomas, uh, to you know, go to myacomas.com or give us a call. You know, there there's still some for sale. I, what I meant by it sold out is, uh, it, if if we wanted to sell it all wholesale, oh, we could have in about an hour. It, it's there was like 500 or no, requests, 500 yeah. requests over what we had in inventory. Um, so we just we obviously didn't want to sell it all wholesale. Um, so we, we definitely still have some and we'll hold back we'll hold back wine for the library like one thing that Bob Travers always did was he'd hold 100 plus cases of his current release Cabernet and Chardonnay for uh, for the library for a re-release and that's uh, did you say 100 plus mm-hmm. yeah how, how many cases of this were produced of 15 it was it was just I think it was like 2300 or, yeah. or something like that um, 15 was was a you know, kind of a it was a yield wise was a was a little was a smaller vintage. Um, we had we kind of had early bud break on the mountain and then really and long it, flowering. Did you get that hailstorm that went through? Because twenty fifteen there was a hailstorm that during flowering that like six month bloom. Yeah, um, a hailstorm rolled through like like Moon Mountain came in. Uh, like May, I want to say like Memorial Day weekend or right around, you know, the end of May 2015, there was a hailstorm that rolled through and knocked back a bunch of our Cabernet and, and Sauvignon Blanc sites on the mountaintop. Did that make it over the hill and hit you guys too? Do you remember? Yeah, no, I mean, I remember the storm. We we were lucky we did not have, we did not have a lot of damage. I, I think the, uh, some of the blocks by the winery, um, some of the blocks by the winery, old our old cab block, we had some leaf damage, but no, it was pretty minor, and um, we were lucky. I mean, for us, we still had lower yield just because of that. That what did you say, six month flowering? It was a very long it was six weeks, but it felt like six months. <laughs> <laughs> it took forever, uh, but it's, I mean, we still we still had we still had a little bit of shatter, not because of hail, but just because of. Because well, of how it was, long it was, how long it was, and we had quite a bit of we get quite a bit of wind at Myakamas, uh too. So that was that was part of it. Anytime you have a long flowering, you just you just it's op- you're open, you're vulnerable to everything, everything. And so we were down. I think it's a, it was about fifty percent on yield estimates for Cabernet, and, and about and about sixty percent on on uh, on Merlot. So it was um, it was one of those vintages where. 
You know, we we tend to think about the both Chardonnay and Cabernet in terms of in terms of our harvesting is kind of a, a bit of a spectrum a spectrum pick. We'll have you know a certain percentage that we want to pick fairly early, uh, and then we'll we'll, ha- we'll try and capture the bulk of the tonnage right in the, kind of in the sweet spot, and maybe have a pick or two a little bit later for for layering um, both on the kind of the heads and tails, if you will. Uh, in 15, there was just it was it was a little bit tricky because you know from a, if you go out and look at the vineyard, it didn't necessarily look that light. Just the clusters themselves were pretty light, and um, when and berry size was really small in 15. Small. Um, you had a lot of like you know the old school wine guys will call like popcorn berries, where you know that's a it's a basically dry skin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on there. It doesn't have a lot of juice in it. Doesn't have a seed. Yeah. Um, there was there was a lot of that. Fifteen was when, and I, you know, you guys don't really have any hoses like this up there on the mountain. You just got you got that old that old bottle got you. Yeah, I forgot. Worked. Uh, By all means, Brayden, don't get yeah. any wine on you. Right, seriously. <laughs> I can't I can't do the that. Clean his hands of a wine. Andy's man. the Andy's the consultant. You're actually the wine. Just to get dirty, man. <laughs> Wipe it on that fancy Patagonia vest you got. Does it say the, Maya Thomas on it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. See? Official wine winery and, uniform. And I I wasn't gonna say it, but I'm going to. Uh you want those beanies, the don't you? Maya Thomas Vineyard sunglasses that he was wearing. Oh yeah. He's yeah. Like, yes. like the coolest oh. on brand guy. Constantly selling, yeah, and you didn't even little. See the little did you know, winemaker's main job is selling wine. No, I'm kidding. No, I, actually, well, I what just, else are you supposed to do? The other, you know, I, I, ten I'm and a half months of the year for losing sunglasses. So luckily, luckily there was some because I was leaving. I'm like, oh, I can't drive. Those, just, those were just in the truck, weren't they? Oh yeah, pretty freaking dirty. I, I basically just leave these in the truck, so I don't. I'm not tempted to. Lose them elsewhere, usually in the cellar. Uh, yeah, I'm notorious for leaving stuff around. Crevices in those old buildings to lose some sunglasses. Uh, oh yeah, I'm sure I'll Either find. Chris three or Ross four. is just stealing them. <laughs> no. Probably what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, this wine is uh, uh, the Chardonnays were both delicious. The fift- yeah, fifteen. You guys did pretty good job in fifteen. I'm gonna go out. On yeah, the go out on Declare. the limb and say that that they were right to put yeah. you in the top two. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah it's um. Well, we haven't tasted number one or number three yet, though. Good point. Good point. Okay. And wasn't Dave uh, Dave, Dave Ramey's in that top ten in also, there. right? Yeah, Hyde Vineyard, Shark, yeah. yep. Groth, Cabernet was. I did get a bottle of the um, Beau Castel. You did get it, okay. Yeah, most and expensive lunch I've ever had at Sonoma's Best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I got was a hot dog. I don't know what happened here. Uh, and then while we're on the, you know, giving shout-outs to. Wine Spectator Top 100s. Uh, number 63 was Michelle Gassier. Uh, so that's Isabel's uh, father what, and what family wine winery. And it's, I think it's like a white blend, which is my favorite. Yeah, and it's like and it's it's super reasonable. Not to say that totally. uh, you know whatever you would pay for this 2015 Mayakamas Cabernet is totally worth it. Uh, it's like 22 dollars a bottle. Um, and then another not a not wine that we grew. Um, but Carlisle had that one in there. I think he's oh, in yeah. the top fifteen. Yep. Uh, for a, a Zin from Papera Ranch, uh, if that's Mike Officer. Um, and then, uh, well, your consulting winemaker, um, Favia, and that might have Oakville Ranch fruit in it. I'm not sure. I thought it was the Coombsville. Is it the but Coombsville? I, but I can't I, remember I can't what remember. it was. Yeah. So you know, another an Andy Erickson. So you know, we. Um, 
We're uh, and I would say that like you know Dave Ramey got the winemakers podcast bump out of it, but I think that's probably not that's probably not the case. <laughs> well, talk about how does this happen? So me just making my first wine for the first time. This how time. are you going to get it in your 2019? What is that like every year? They just you just send bottles in to like spectator ask for submissions. You send them in, and then then you just figure, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so they do. Uh, you know, they do kind of almost continuous blind tastings at their Napa office. I mean, plus at locations basically all over the world for their for their rankings. So, James James Molesworth, who's the uh, the Napa Cabernet critic, if you will. Uh, you know, we we submitted the fifteen. I can't remember when. Um, for the for the you know, for his blind tasting on fifteen, we tend to be a year late, right? On the uh, if he was doing all fifteen cabs, you know, since we released so late, we would have missed that um, normal tasting. Okay. But yeah, the uh, you submit you submit it to the spectator office, and that's about it. You don't really know much well, beyond that. Yeah, because what typically happens is the ratings come out and they may be they may be put into an into an issue so you guys mm-hmm. you had a score before right 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 we were this got a 96 so it got a 96 so yeah. it was already on their radar right but everybody waits for you know the second to last issue is always the cabernet napa cabernet issue and so you have a pretty good idea. You're looking pretty good in there. And then the top 100 come out, and that you do. You say, well, we know we had some good wines in it. Let's see how they decide. And and I think we've talked about this before. You know, They're looking for a certain amount of a, 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 an even um, showing among all segments, right? So high-end wines, affordable wines, you know, European um California, etc. So, just talking about how the one hundred, the one hundred is determined. But um, you know, there was been continued shoutouts on it. Uh, The Rotor Estates was the first time a a domestic sparkling wine hit the top one hundred. Right, right. That was number number five. Like, uh, you know, this was a this was a good. Good year for good California. Year for, a good year for the Wine Spectator Top 100. They did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know. Um, but, and this was, you guys found out when we all found out, right? You didn't, like, there was no, there was no pre-warning. No, yeah, I honestly, um, our, uh, you know, Kathy Cohn, who I, who I work with, she's our, she's in charge of our wholesale business. Um, she called me at about seven in the morning at the cottage up at the winery. I would have been out walking, walking my dog, and actually, all these golden adventures. Yeah. It's the second best shout out Instagram account. <laughs> so nothing but curry. The uh, yeah, my my wife Amy answered the phone, and um, she's like, "You should call Kathy." She said something about like a really good review of a Pinot, but her her uh, the the reception was bad, so. I, I couldn't really tell what she was saying, and <laughs> so I'm like, that, that makes no sense. My story. I was like, that makes no sense. Uh, like, I, I got a um, Pinot. I mean, we haven't submitted a Pinot anywhere. But anyways, I. I uh, Do you guys even? You may. There has been My Commas Pinot. But oh yeah, no, yeah. Not currently. My Commas Pinot. We did the last, the last vintage in thirteen, uh-huh. uh, and uh, yeah, hey, you know, the Pinots are great. I should have. Uh, I, I wasn't surprised that you know maybe we did get some award for a Pinot, but I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know that we had submitted any, so I was a bit confused. But anyways, I, I called Kathy back and she let me know. Um, so yeah, I, 
I had no idea. I frankly had kind of forgotten that they that it was it was Wine Spectator 100 time. You know, it, coming out of harvest, you you know you're not really fully well, in, with in it. In your defense, it takes longer for news to get to my, up to the top of Mount Peter. <laughs> right. it, it does. It, there's a little like delay. the telegraph and yeah, everything. Exactly. <laughs> it goes with those old right. barrels. And the <laughs> it's, it's Pony a, Express. The Pony Express only goes once a week, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a constant challenge. Yeah. yeah. I basically just tell people, just text me. If you try and call me, it's not going to happen. Right. I'll get your voicemail like two days later. <laughs> Every once in a while, like, I can reach you on the on the cellar line, though. Yeah, on no. The production line. I try. I mean, I try, especially this time of year when I'm like kind of recapping harvest and doing a lot of administration. I'm reachable. You're reachable. <laughs> and do you do you guys have a tasting room up there? So we we do. It's it's definitely. It, we're we're just now starting to rebuild. So the 17 fires hit us yeah, we didn't pretty really hard. Talk about that. No, yeah, we, we didn't talk about. Yeah. yeah, we. You know, obviously the whole the whole North Bay community was. You know, fresh off another round of fires, and uh, you know, at Sonoma and Napa in particular, in '17, bore the brunt of it, of it, and we really, we were unlucky, and but also very lucky at the same time. You know, we we lost our main tasting room, is Bob Travers' old house, the downstairs of which we did we he did he did tastings at, and then we we refurbished it and we did our tastings there. Um, kind of crazy really it's in the it's the middle building in the middle of the kind of a complex of buildings including the winery and the, the cottage where i live and it's really the one right in the middle and it's a really good point we're it's we're constantly like man i really wish i was i really wish i was here to try and figure out how that burned and nothing else did mm-hmm. i mean our crush pad the, the there's trees over the top of it. it's right next to the you know it's bordering it's a wood framed wood framed everything had the same roofs you know there's it's just luck, dumb luck, really, that the winery itself didn't. Uh, the winery itself survived, and um, yeah. So to answer your question, we 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 do still we do still do tastings up there, um, and we are starting we're starting the the reconstruction finally, uh, post fire, which is really exciting. There's a there's a foundation. It, you can see a, a building outline. So we're we're getting stoked. Uh, it's but it's been a long it's been a long process. I've learned way more about insurance and uh, Napa <laughs> County planning joys than I ever thought I'd need to know as a winemaker. But um, but it's been it's been it's been certainly interesting. And but we're we're excited to kind of be in. I think once that's done, once the building's finished, in my mind it'll be kind of like okay, now we're in post fire. Like I can kind of stop thinking about it. Until then, it's fresh. But, but yeah, we also we just opened a downtown Napa tasting room also. So it's on First Street downtown near uh, Charlie Palmer Steakhouse and Compline, and really like right. That's how you know Archer. he's a cool Napa guy now, even though he grew up in Sonoma. He, uh, uh, he doesn't call it Compline. It's Compline. Straight out of Compline. Straight out of Compline. That's the, they, they made these shirts because they couldn't figure, like people were mispronouncing it or something. Oh, that's why they did that. Yeah. Oh, I thought they're just clever, cheeky no, they bastards. Are. <laughs> they are cheeky MSs. <laughs> yeah, I hey, moved, Matt's doing a great job there. I moved forward because I got to get it going. Hmm. Um, oh, you're on 2005. The- yeah. Man, oh man, oh man. It, it, it's it's showing well today. I, haven't, I, haven't, I just uh, for the I record, I just poured out my last sip of oh five fifteen <laughs> Cabernet number. You know. It wasn't the number one wine wine spectator, so I'll to move on to the 05. Jeez. 
Yeah, 05. You know, we tend to do one one of the really cool things about Myacomics. You now we we talked about we talked about the importance of maintaining the style and and really why that's so important is you know these wines are these wines are built to age and it's and it's kind of something that's been lost a little bit in uh, in Cabernet in California in some sense and you know they they take some time to come out of their shell but this style is really you know it re- they really do lay down for a while and we're lucky because we get to show the young wines with a retrospective release so right now with the 15 release it's the 2005 usually it's 10 years and you can kind of really see stylistically you know there's no change um stylistically a lot of the vessels are similar different vintage sure but um, say that again so when if like if if somebody's buying wine from you guys right now what's available is the 15 and the 05 or is it like in the tasting room you're pouring 15 and 05 or both uh both i mean it's um the there's a little there's not a, a lot of 05 available but yeah upon release there'll be a certain amount that's available for purchase and also we we do uh, the 95 like in an even smaller amount so it'll usually be a 10 retrospect right they do increase a little bit over time yeah <laughs> It's, how this works. I, Scar- it's yeah. called scarcity. I'm, I'm, you got to pay for Patagonia vest, man. That well, shit's, that hey shit's now, hey now. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now, but I think that's something like that's something I always end up thinking is was one of the really cool things about my comments for me when I started to really fall in love with the place was there's a lot of old brands in Napa and Sonoma, and and there's a lot of great ones, and um, but but not all of them have maintained the same style over that that length of time and one of the really the really great things about about what Bob Travers did and really Bob Sessions before him Bob Sessions was the winemaker there really like the first vintage I think he technically made was 65 Jesus um, Christ and so he he kind of he got he got I think the, a, a little bit more of the the qual- the quality of more professional winemaking mentality going up there and when when Travers bought it in 68 uh, sessions sessions left not too long after to go to Hansel, um, but the style has not changed since then, and that's pretty cool. You can really, it's really more of a, you know, you're you're tasting the vintage and you're tasting bottle age. You're not tasting uh, some shift where it started to be about getting scores and being on spectator list or whatever it is. Like it's really we try and do the same the same have the same mentality going into every harvest uh really try and you know i know it's cliche but really showcase the site and the vintage and within the context of the house style and um you know i think when you get to show wines side by side it it shows both where the current release wine is at right now and and where the library wine is right now but it also shows what the current release is going to do in 10 years um, well you know at least give you a, a, an idea where it might go so that's that's pretty cool i mean from because there's really not many places that can do that in the same way that we can and we're lucky and i'm lucky because i get to drink it all the time so well actually i know i joked about it earlier but um talk about what you did when you got there and you know as you were kind of like digging in to Mayakamas, and really, you went through decades of Bob's, Bob Travers' notes, and you know, and maybe talk a mm-hmm. little bit, you know, talk about that, but also talk a little bit about, um, 
you know, kind of what you learned out of that and how that kind of informs things as it, as it moves forward. Right. Now, I mean, it's still, it's still, uh, it's still inf- informing what we do. I mean, the, the, uh, like the harvest notebooks are really probably the coolest part of the history that when we started, I, I really started to dig into and, and Bob took really meticulous notes, um, of every vintage, uh, you know, start from just the pick, uh, all the way through ferment. So you have everything from, you know, yeah, pick date, initial chemistries, fermentation temperatures, uh, rate of fermentation, some sense of vessel, <laughs> though it's, it's, uh, it's always, it's a little bit tough to follow that sometimes. Like what, what it was in? Yeah. You're like, okay, at some point he crushed and pressed into F6. What is F6? I don't even know what that is. And you have <laughs> to go that, back. That's a button on the top of the <laughs> yeah. keyboard, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, it's always a bit of a puzzle to go through each vintage that way, but I, I, I tend to, to go through, you know, especially some of my favorite vintages right before harvest and just, you know, kind of be steeped a little bit in what, what has been done here and, and, um, you know, not, we're not really, it's not like looking for a recipe or anything like that, but it's really about being inspired by the wines you like from the property. And, and if you, especially if I think the vintage is similar to a vintage, you know, an old, an, a different, you know, an older vintage, then you kind of go with that. You're totally oh, yeah. getting upstage right now, Braden. by yeah, the way. Yeah. Althea's <laughs> saying her first words into the microphone. <laughs> yeah, hey, I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Future, future winemakers podcast yeah. guest, right. right there. Guest, uh, host. Our youngest, young, yeah, host, totally. Uh, will, will she have... Mom just showed up. She's happy. Will she have Sam's gift of gab? She, she talks mo- almost more than I do. Even almost maybe... She talks faster than you do, Brayden. She talks. You know, a, one of my favorite stories about uh, about just my my friendship with the Katuris over the years is uh, is Sam's Sam well Phil Sam's dad gave me the nickname Gramps. I think Gramps. I was I don't know. It must have been like ten. <laughs> I'm not you're, sure. You're ten like, year old grandpa. Probably like fourteen, maybe. Maybe I was fourteen. Yeah. What was that about? It was about uh, really we <clears throat> we had skied all day, and I remember coming back to the Katuris cabin on the west shore and I basically just sat down on the couch and fell Wrapping asleep myself wrapped myself in a blanket and, <laughs> and that was that was basically it I don't, snoring like a grandpa <laughs> no I was not snoring I had skied hard man I don't know we, we uh, I mean that's what? really where that's really where, where Sam Max and I I mean Reed uh, this whole crew of, Reed uh, of fr- good friends the of Rosie Rascals oh yeah growing up growing up in Sonoma going up to Tahoe and you know getting to know each other on the mountain that's really Kind of where this bond was formed, and uh, yeah. So, it was, anyways, it was a really, it was really funny that he, sometimes you know, Phil would still call me Gramps, still text me, "Hey, Gramps, give me a call and talk to you about something or whatever it is." You know, it's um, yeah, <laughs> it's humbling. I've certainly, I've certainly got some, I don't know, some mature tendencies. I don't know what <laughs> you call that. Uh, you know, you all, you tell stories like a grandfather. Bart Bart's microphone is not turned off. He's leaving. <laughs> you don't have to say, just, say bye, Bart. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye Bart. <laughs> Bart, I Bart's going to sell wine. Go sell wine. 2016 Chenin Blanc. <clears throat> Thanksgiving's around the corner. Oh, wait, no. Thanksgiving right. will be passed by the time this uh, comes out. Yes, it Great will. Great Christmas wine. <laughs> oh, I think Oprah said it goes well with uh, 
with uh, what are those spice cakes? Fruit cake. Fruit cakes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Bart, you make fruit cake wine. <laughs> I don't think I've heard you guys mention that on any podcast yeah, recently. Yeah, apparently Bart makes Chen Blanc. I had no idea. Just a very little bit, and he holds it out only for podcast listeners. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Well, it's a bo- good thing. Good one thing bottle at a time. Listenership has been growing. So. Hey, there we go. <laughs> I always enjoy listening. I've uh, there's definitely been some late nights in the cellar. I'll be in the. I'll be one of the things about living up there is if I can't sleep, I tend to go taste barrels or you know kind of think about the next day. And usually, usually with a podcast in tow or some music, whatever I need to keep going. And usually, I'll have like a wine, some wine podcast in the mix once a week or something. And can't overload on wine. It can't, yeah. al- it can't always be about wine. But, Some, uh, it has to, sometimes it's about skiing. Some, mostly it's about skiing. That's really what this is all about, right? I, <laughs> <laughs> really, one of the reasons I got into the wine industry because most of the winter is slow. Right. Well, and so, uh, the, Tahoe. One of the coolest things to have happened on Instagram in the last seven years uh, <laughs> was when we got snow... In you know January, Feb- early February of of 2019, Braden actually strapped skis on and skied the vineyards of Mayakamas. Oh, Do you remember yes, seeing that yes. out there? That was, uh, I, you know, what? Okay, question: What sold more wine? Being number two wine <laughs> spectator, wine of the year, or you skiing in the in the vineyard? It's really close. <laughs> I, I, I'll have to look at the data. It's, it's a toss-up at this point. Personally, I would buy wine from the winemaker who skis through his vineyard on Mount Veter faster than... I mean, no offense to the wine spectator, but come on, that shit's... That's cool. As soon as we get featured in uh, Free Skier... Free Skier, right. magazine cover. Yeah. yeah. When I... When, you know, the next the next time we film, I film for Matchstick Productions yeah. at Mayakamas, <laughs> that'll sell a lot that'll, of wine. Dude, if you can go off a jump holding the 2015 cab in right. your... In perfect line of sight. Hey, maybe. Who knows? But Sam knows I was never much of a... I'm never much... Never one for jumps. No, you're I'm more of a skis on the ground. More, yeah, I'm more of a powder, and I'll, I'll drop some cliffs, but falling uh, with style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, I never like to wreck myself in the park. Grandpa, we were smart that yeah, way. That's why we were the gramps and <laughs> yeah. let Max and Ian go and Reed go and like bust their domes in the park. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, were, you know, uh, Brandon and I did a lot of um, just tr- you know you get through the day making so you can make the apre scene. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, you scene. were. I mean, you were the king of the scene. <laughs> Five dollar <laughs> hand rolls at Mamasaki's. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Sham- the chamois scene. The chamois. You know, the chamois scene was one of those places where um, it got less cool when you turned twenty one. You know, and like the first time you gave July the bartender the shame of your your real ID for the first time, and she looks at you with that disdain. It wasn't as cool anymore. <laughs> and you stepped your game up, and then it was yeah. beer, a beer and sushi. Or- yeah, beer and sushi. <laughs> no, I think that I think what happened, Roy and I got kicked out of the shame, and we weren't. No, that's when Nuwamasaki got cool. <laughs> that does not surprise me. <laughs> no, but it was it was pretty fun skiing up there. I, I think uh, you know Nathan Littlejohn, uh, who was who worked with me up at the winery. He was the assistant winemaker before I was. We would kind of go around the property all the time and think about where we would ski. He's he's a ski bum. He actually makes wine in uh, in Vale, in uh, actually in Minturn, oh. right next to right next to Vale. Uh, so he make he's making Colorado Shannon actually Shannon and and Syrah, really great wines. And uh, we'd always just, you know, walk around, look where, <laughs> look where we would ski. And um, I, 
as soon as this storm kind of this this weather pattern came in and i i grabbed my skis i put them next to the cellar door i think i was probably texting you i'm like some you guys need to come up here it's gonna snow and i'm gonna finally get to I ski think what my you texted me was a picture of your skis next to the cellar door yeah that was the yeah. night before i'm like i'm ready because you know you know you don't have very long uh, in a sonoma yeah. napa snowstorm to really get into the to get well, into you really want to use your good skis too because you know you're going to come across some gravel some <laughs> fractured basalt <laughs> yes it's not, it's not even like the granite of the west face <laughs> no it was uh i mean it was funny no actually i only had i only had my normal skis up there so i'm like you know what oh, shit. unfortunately i gotta i gotta take one for the team here <laughs> and uh i think i skied like five or six runs and you know shout out to romero our, our, our vineyard foreman he he was he was equally stoked. So he started uh, he started just well. Amy, my wife, first gave me the first few the first few uh, chairlift laps in the ATV, if you will. And then Romero <laughs> found me, and he's like, "We should go ski more," you know, basically. And so he would, I would ski to the bottom. He'd pick me up, would drive me back to the top. What was he driving you in? The ATV. Uh, oh, okay, it wasn't like I was hoping for like a cat skiing moment here. Where he was like, "Yeah, we had the Kubota." <laughs> he was towing me. We're on the monster fourth. That's that's. <laughs> it's not it's you know they're, they're, these uh, these really big snow events in the in the mountains in Sonoma and Napa are, are few and far between so you gotta be ready to go totally it's like once every 15 or 20 years or something I mean growing up in Petaluma I remember seeing it we up on Sonoma Mountain and people would just cut school well and that was the crazy thing about last winter is I mean there was only one day maybe you did you strap them on twice was there another day that you were able to? Yeah. It was I think really I got like, one more, one yeah. more run in, but there was really one day when it, when it, yeah. it was like it was deep. It was like three inches of snow. <laughs> it was epic powder. <laughs> um, but there was, there was a couple month or a couple weeks span um, where there was little bits of snow, you know, on the top of of Cobb and and you know, last winter, and there a few events of actual snow falling from the sky on the top of, you know, Sonoma County and Napa County Mountains, which is super rare. You know, I've had that, you know, the way I did last winter. Yeah, hopefully, you know, I'll be ready for it again this year, that's for sure. With your yeah. rock skis With this my time. rock skis. Yeah. Yeah. My new rock skis. <laughs> right. You mean just the skis you were on last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah by default, skiing in my Akamas made them uh, obsolete made them everywhere else. else. Yeah. Don't worry, I'll, I'll I'll probably expense my commas for at some point, right? <laughs> this is a marketing expense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Wait a minute, how much do you have to pay to live up there? It's a good deal. It's really just my my time. Okay, you life. might not want to expense them. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm very I'm this very year lucky. We I'm spent thirty thousand dollars on wine baking equipment and oh, a fifteen hundred dollar. Any mountain charge? Yeah. <laughs> what was that, Braden? Any mountain. Uh, you know, I, any mountain? Are those even around anymore? Where do you buy skis anymore? It would be like Tahoe Dave's. Or Tahoe something. Dave's. Granite Chief. Granite Chief. Is that, That's a, right. is that a fermentation supply store? What is that? Uh, We're at Dick's. Dick's. Dick's <laughs> Evo. Spend how much at Dick's? What? No. All right, are we going to taste those okay. wines, or are so, we going to get tacos and taste those wines? Uh, well, we should taste the wines, and, and I don't think we should eat tacos on the microphone. Okay. Just because that doesn't, uh, you know, we've we've gotten feedback before that people don't like it when they hear so much of, like, the, the swishing and the spitting. Hmm. I think us eating 
talking with our mouths full of. Oh, now we should really do it. I know. We should probably eat tacos (laughs) on the microphone. (laughs) No, five minutes of just eating tacos. Five minutes of just eating tacos. Complete silence except for the. If you make it through five minutes of just us eating tacos. Oh, special promo code. You can get. Yeah, special promo code. 15 Mayakamas cap. (laughs) You can get some. (laughs) That's the promo. That's the whole promo is you'll get some. (laughs) No no (laughs) discount. No deal. No fast forwarding. No, right. (laughs) No speeding up the sound. I have nothing to do with this. <laughs> He's the smartest winemaker we've had on yet who did not participate, did not compute. All if right, you, explain what you have okay. in those urine sample bottles there. <laughs> They're blood samples. Uh, so I have barrel samples. Well, not even barrel samples. Um, these are the extended maceration um, Adutet Red from 20, 2019. So one of them is from Oakville Ranch. The other Wait, one 2019? I... So these aren't. So they haven't been barreled yet. In fact, they're going to get I pressed. Next I just week. haven't tried 2018 yet. Hmm. Oh well, we got to work on that too. We'll do. We'll do when 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 Isabel forgives me for. Well, I saw her like I know, five she's, minutes ago. Yeah, she's. she's she didn't say anything. She's, she's not. What'd you do? Okay. I. You know, it's a it's about barrels. It's always about barrels with the French. Mm. <laughs> you know. Um, uh, we'll we'll have her on to talk about them because she can talk about them better than I can, um, and we'll do, we'll taste the eighteen reds and then the nineteen and the nineteen rosé. Um, so and what has been happening with these were picked, um, you know, late October, um, not the not the last week of October, but the second to last week of October, um, and have been on skins. Um, even though the fermentation has been dry, doing this sort of light punch down, just keeping the cap wet, um, and will be, and De La Stage, I think, daily or twice daily De La Stage that ended about a week and a half ago. So they're going to get... Explain that. De La Stage is, um, so, you know, there's, there's different ways of doing, like, punch down, pump overs, people are, you know, bringing the juice... That settles at the bottom, and the skins that settle, that move to the top in a fermentation. Different ways of mixing them. The, there's this way of doing it called delastage that um, is you know the, the part of the combi protocol. And what you do is you drain the tank the tank entirely. So you drain the fermentation tank without taking much of the skin or seed out of it. Mm. And then move it into a separate tank and kind of let the the skins be there dry essentially. Um, you know, oxygen making it all the way down to the bottom of the cap, uh, to this you know, this pumice basically, and then pumping the juice back over the top. Immediately. Once you get down down to the bottom. Uh, I think that there's a delay. Um, it depends on yeah. depends on your individual style, but it's really a nice way if you have if you have a ferment that needs a little bit of oxygen. That's one, that's one one way to get to get it quite a bit. We do it every now and again. Usually, it's for you know kind of more reductive cabernet or ferments. It's only a white wine method, obviously, but it's uh, or sorry, red wine method, but it's really effective. You just need tank space, right? Which. Hmm. Um, is always the challenge yeah. when anywhere, especially a year like this last year too. Mm-hmm. Um, so these will be pressed and then barreled down in the next few, you know, pressed next week. And Shit. These are still not pressed. These haven't been pressed yet. How uh, many days on skins are they? Uh, it's, we're so close we're to five weeks. Right? Yeah. We're close to, th- yeah. 30 plus, 
Uh, I'm pretty sure the pick dates. I, I've never actually made it to a Oakville Ranch pick for the Grenache because I always end up like doing some sort of sales trip or something. I think I was in LA, so the LA events were like 24th, 25th. It was around then mm-hmm. that it was harvested. Um, okay, so a month. We're talking about. We're talking about a month. Yeah. You know, by the time it gets pressed out, it'll be a month on skins. Um, and then those that's unusual, right? Yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, not for, that unusual for Grenache in California. Yeah. I yeah. think is probably a little bit more unusual. Um, and I think last year we didn't even longer. Last year it was more like forty-five days or something mm-hmm. like that. Wow. Um, yeah, maceration timing yeah. is there's a huge range depending on varietal and style. Anywhere, and we'll do them anywhere from ten days to. You know, like 20, 25, something like that. But then there's people who will do them for 60 days and longer. Wow. Right. So it, there's there's all sorts of different ways to do it, obviously. And all sorts of different reasons that you would do that. Right. Right. Um, well, depth and concentration, right, would be and the that's, main that's, thing. That's, in, you know, and um, especially with Grenache, I think a lot of it has to do with the tannin structure um, and sort of helping those tannins polymerize a little bit. Uh, come together and kind of form those nice spherical feelings as opposed to edgy feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. should we? Should we? I'm gonna taste them and oh, hell yeah. pass it around. All right. So I think uh, we go Oakville first. <clears throat> Oakville is usually, um, you know, sort of counterintuitively. So it's Oakville Ranch and Rossi Ranch. Um, the Oakville Ranch, you think Napa, but the Oakville is usually the more elegant expression of of the Grenache. And the Rossi, so we'll see if that's... And where Where exactly is this vineyard? So Oakville Ranch is uh, the highest elevation east side of the Oakville District. The Oakville District sort of, um, you know, dissects Napa Valley uh, from east to west. Um, so if you're on the Oakville Crossroad, uh, Oakville, how many times can I say Oakville in one sentence? Um, <laughs> where it hits Silverado Trail, if you go about 500 feet elevation up from that point, you get to the Oakville Ranch. Um it's where, you know, the, um, again, Braden's consulting winemaker, Andy Erickson, has gotten a 100-point score from, from Oakville Ranch Fruit. Um, it's, you know, the, the top, some of the top, probably price-wise, Cabernet that we grow and sell. Uh, but in the very edge, uh, just below Bond and uh, Ovid or something, some fancy names that they don't even let us in the door, Um there's this little nook, this little valley that we planted Grenache into. And um, what kind of fucking crazy person plants Grenache up there? Phil Kateri. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's the block name? Uh, the Deep V. The deep V. It used, right. to be, it used to be Chardonnay. The deep when he pulled v. it out. Phil loves to pull out Chardonnay on terraces in Napa, apparently. <laughs> Phil. And this Napa. is how much, how much of this has grown up there? It's a fairly small block, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's I mean, it can't be more than an oh, acre. I think, well, maybe Wait a minute, did you put this block in there? It was No, I don't think I did. I, it was, um, yeah, it was, I think that was after you. Yeah. It after you, though. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Mm. I remember going, I've, I've gone back to look at it, and it's, 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 it's really a great little it's spot. It's a pretty little vineyard. And definitely, you know, sort of stands out in a, the edge of, you know, the sea of... Of, of thoroughbred Cabernet, um, you know, some head-trained, funky little Grenache vines. I mean, Oakville Ranch has got to be maybe one of the best contract vineyards, if, if you will, in in Oakville. I mean, Oakville Ranch, sorry. Right. And um, 
you know, there's there's a lot of great a lot of great vineyards in, in Oakville, most of which are estate, and you can't really if you don't own the property, you don't get to work with that fruit. And so, you know, you see the caliber of of program that is that's that comes off of Oakville Ranch, <clears throat> both in really across all different varietals, um, and people come there for the right reason. It's really a great a great site, and and beyond that, you know, the the grapes are just. Grown, they're grown pretty well. They got some. They know what they're doing a little bit. Phil, Phil kind of knows, but occasionally, Phil, and, the, and the whole team, and the whole team. I mean, that still has like some brown, sugary, molassesy kind of flavors to it, like the the Oakville. Oakville. So I mean, is that that's completely fermented dry at this point? I would imagine it's about. If it's not there, it's as close, close. as it's going to get right now. Um, but yeah, no, it should be dry. Um, Tastes pretty dry. Yeah. If anything, there's a little more sweetness to the Rossi, I thought. They're both really interesting, you know. And do you they guys... Don't, they don't tell... They don't, I don't taste these wow. and think, oh, this is Grenache from California. Hmm. Um, do, you, do you press dry, typically? I mean, with that sort of maceration timing, you're, you're probably pretty close. Uh, but do you, like as your guys' style has evolved or you know, changed so these over are time? so these are the Adutent wines oh. that um, I well, I just do what Philippe and Isabel say. Actually, I don't do any of it. Isabel does what okay. Philippe tells her to, or you know what you know. It's pretty ongoing um, sort of back and forth between what Isabel's seen and and is happening and what Philippe kind of instructs and then and then it comes back here and you kind of figure out how to do what Philippe suggests with what we have available. Right. Um, so, you know... Probably, again, it probably depends on the year, really, and, too, and, as well. Yeah, and, and as far as um, you know, typical 16600 Grenache, yeah, we 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 press it dry um, and, and barrel it down. We don't wow. also do, you know, more than, like, two or three weeks, you know, pretty, you know, not, not quick fermentations, but... Um, not really extended maceration on it either. Right. Um, this smells like dates. The Rossi. Yeah. Yeah, it's like date honey. It's like, yeah. yeah. With a little, like, sort of clovey. Yeah. Yeah. I always, yeah. I always really love trying, you know, young, young, young wines that are meant to age. And it's something that we get to do and not a lot of other people do. Yeah. Right. Um, but there's some, there's some, there's a vibrancy in in, uh, in a lot of these really young wines that you know they, as they as they mature as they get barrel time, that doesn't dissipate it just in changes. But there's there's something that's really fun about getting to try them fresh and kind of in an un, in some cases in some cases an unstable form, and you get to kind of know where they're think about where they're going to go. Um, that's, that's always one of my favorite things to do, kind of at this 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 time of year where you reflect on. How the vintage went and what things are tasting like in the glass. So thanks, thanks for sharing these. You're welcome. No, this is. I'm excited. Things are good. Yeah, for sure. No, I can't wait to try the 2018. We should go eat tacos. I'm mm. starving for tacos. <laughs> tacos are fried chicken, but I think we only have tacos. We only have tacos today. <laughs> There's not a fried, chi- excellent fried chicken hidden truck on the side of the road that we can send you to. <laughs> Going not to coy- Coyote. Where are you? No, this is not coyote. And I got some for you in there. Oh, it, all right. it's it's El Yeah, yeah, we got you tacos. Yeah. No, you know, you had to drive like seven hours from the top of Mount Veter. Oh, you didn't hand glide down? I man, that's a good idea. Next we, time we get the, we got to get that aerial tramway. You know, we got to get uh, yeah. 
JT Holmes, if you're listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we do a little base jumping base, into somehow. There's not really big cliffs up there, but I'm not sure. You know, he yeah, could, he could figure white, something the out. The right wind. Oh, a little yeah. wingsuit down to Sonoma. Man. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. Althea's getting buckled up. Trying uh, to Brian, thanks for showing up. We know you probably got. 50 million uh, interview requests at this point. Uh, <laughs> I was the first um, one that hit you up for an interview right when that... Good morning, America. Hit, right? uh, Larry yeah. King. I don't even know if he's still alive. <laughs> Larry King's still alive. <laughs> he's on his fourth heart and seventh wife, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Thank, thanks for having me on. It's, it, it's, it's always... It's been fun to listen to listen to the podcast as it's as it's come out over time. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's cool to be on it. And um, hope you guys enjoyed the wines and thanks uh, for the, thanks wines for the are, love. The wines yeah, are awesome. The wines are great. I'm gonna need some of that 15 Chardonnay in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fire. It really is. All right, guys. Well, check out uh, radiomisfits.com. Check out past episodes. Subscribe, uh, review. Subscribe, review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, shout out Todd Jolly, Sonoma's best. Uh, what else? There's other things going on. I can't remember. Shout out to Nall. I mean, going there. Yes, uh, last week. Sorry. Yeah. Whatever. Time, it was. time. Time. Space time continuum. Travel. Uh, was pretty cool because they're you know kind of in the same vein that we were talking about today about not changing style, yeah. doing things over time the same way and not chasing trends, um, and just making good wine. So yeah, it's just nice to uh, nice to try these uh, cabs at 05 is. Yeah. The 05, the 15 is fantastic. The 05 is, you know, delicious. And the Autotet Rosé, by the way, if you want to go to winery16600.com, still have some of that available. Yeah, it's not available online. Uh, Call and Oh, sorry. It's not available (laughs) online. Call, call. Email mountaincabernet at gmail. No, email, uh, call, email. um, We'll call. And when Paul White answers the phone, he says, how did you hear about us? You have to say... Uh, something clever. Oh, in High Times Magazine, they, <laughs> yeah, exactly. did an article. <laughs> they did an article about you guys. Yeah. And instantly his ears will perk up. <laughs> <laughs> you might actually get some wine. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week.